0: Hi, Accelerant World! It's no secret, throughout the pandemic and today, fundraising is a major focus for nonprofits. But it may surprise you the data shows that things are looking up as we continue opening up little by little. People see you and your work and want to support your efforts and be involved. In May 2020, I spoke with Carolyn Grady, the VP and Chief Development Officer from the YMCA of Greater Pittsburgh. In this episode, Carolyn shares relevant information about driving donations, And of course, this is still critically important, so we wanted to re-release this insightful episode as a bonus for Season 2. From this conversation, you'll get some actionable items for broadening your impact to continue transforming more and more lives and learn some silver linings about fundraising trends across the country. We hope to see you at the NATO conference in a few weeks. Enjoy re-listening to Carolyn's Thoughts and Reflections
1: the pandemic has certainly highlighted, where we truly have some deep problems that need to be attended to uh, in society. And we have the option of either just picking up and and resuming in our new normal, or we can take this opportunity to really decide who it is that we want to be. Um, Right now, there are very few sacred cows and so this is really a wonderful opportunity to press the reset button, to sort of reassess relationships, deepen some relationships, change relationships, throw more resources behind certain areas, just level set and adjust all around. Accelerant, a
0: substance used to aid the spread of fire, accelerating, or causing acceleration. This is an Accelerant bonus episode. Hi there. Thank you for joining me today on the show. I'm your host, Saranda West. Today you are in for a treat. I am joined by Carolyn Grady, Senior VP and Chief Development Officer of the YMCA of Greater Pittsburgh. And of course, there's um, no time better than right now as all nonprofits are adjusting to post-COVID world and what is our new normal going to be and literally leading their organizations um, through this difficult time as donations are, are keeping these organizations afloat. So Carolyn, thank you. So much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Let's start off. If you will just tell us a little bit more about yourself. I like to tell people this is my third career. Everything that I did leading up to this prepared me for what I'm doing. Uh, but it was not an intentional path. I've lived in the Pittsburgh area now a little over 30 years. I came here when my husband was hired here. But my first sort of my first career was really in banking. I worked for several banks and uh, my last job was as a trust officer position. When I came to uh, Pittsburgh, the opportunities for me in banking were limited, and I chose to get a graduate degree in public and international affairs. And after completing that, I went and worked for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center for 10 years. So from banking into healthcare, And uh, as I was approaching the end of those 10 years, we already had one child. We wanted another child. I was on a pager 24-7 working as a a clinical administrator for um, liver and kidney transplants. And an opportunity presented itself to work for a nonprofit that was closely affiliated with that work. And it was a nonprofit that I had personally supported and felt very passionately about. So I I took a leap and that was about 22 years ago and haven't looked back since. So it it was a circuitous path, but I feel like I, um, you know, as I said, everything prepared me for what I'm currently doing. And tell us a little,
0: I guess, a little bit too about day-to-day of your current role. So Chief Development Officer, that is a big role I know, especially in Pittsburgh and and during this time. So what does the day-to-day look like with your team?
1: Uh, constantly changing. <laughs> so yes, I've been with Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Y, for now nine years, and truly, truly love the job, love the work that we do here in Pittsburgh, and actually, sort of came to the Y a little bit late in life. So I have a very funny story to tell you. I did not know this until somebody said, "Surely you have a Y story," and I had to think about it, and um, I, I mentioned that uh, I met my husband actually in the basement of a YMCA. Wow. Yes, a long time ago was we weren't doing anything nefarious. We were actually uh, both attending Northeastern University at the time, and Northeastern has a very, very close relationship with the Huntington Avenue YMCA, which is immediately next door, and they were out of classroom space, and so that particular class was in the basement of the Huntington Avenue YMCA. That's my funny little why story. But anyway, back to, to what we're doing here, it, it has been constantly changing. I, I, I don't mean it to sound callous, but I feel that in Pittsburgh, our team was somewhat prepared for the craziness of this particular uh, time right now after having gone through our bankruptcy uh, about two years ago. Actually, it's, it is two years this, this month. And it was interesting because that was a you know very intense period of time, and we felt we were sort of finally climbing out of that. Uh, and then to only just be hit by this. And sadly, to be hit by the the pandemic at the end of our most successful financial year in anybody's recent memory. But there it is. And, you know, that's our, our challenge. Everybody has a challenge right now. Literally everybody. So we're not alone in that. The team has um, been actually wonderful, very flexible and and very creative and i I've said to people that I will never forget those last fifteen days in March. Uh, we actually um, all of our bar schools were closed effective March sixteenth so from that point on, everything you know schools were closed um, the fitness centers were closed after school disappeared literally overnight so Lots of revenue disappeared overnight and we moved into crisis response mode. And I think what I will look back on later is the incredible energy, creativity, the good humor, just some wonderful moments of really getting to know your team and your colleagues and being able to enjoy um, the gifts that they each bring. Uh, But I have been absolutely stunned and amazed by the creativity of some of our younger staff. It's been absolutely incredible to watch. And it's that knowledge and creativity that they've brought to the game. And, and I see my job as really helping to remove obstacles and help them unleash that creativity so that we can take advantage of what they know how to do and the gifts that they bring to the organization. And it has really been very beneficial for us. I guess let's go back to what you mentioned at the beginning, because I know that you and
0: everyone is trying to navigate this chaos and it is definitely changing every day. But going back to what you said about the bankruptcy period and your two year anniversary, what do you think those specifics are in terms of the lessons that you learned from that crisis? I mean, maybe crisis is the right word.
1: Yes, it is a crisis. It is a crisis. It was a crisis. And the learnings were communicate, 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 and then communicate even some more. And we, we were very intentional uh, leading up to the bankruptcy. We, we didn't know that we were necessarily going to go into bankruptcy. We hoped we weren't. But we knew that there was going to be a significant event for our why that would definitely get publicity. And so we were very, very intentional about communicating with major constituencies, especially the foundation community, which is very large in Pittsburgh. Um, we are truly blessed in that regard. So we were extremely intentional prior And then as things happened, and then immediately after, and then subsequent to that at regular intervals. And I think, frankly, it's because we got into that habit, and frankly, we're still doing it, that I was actually able, uh, shortly after, I think it was the weekend immediately after the Friday the 13th, when we first heard that schools were going to be shut down, that I went into my office and um, that evening just sat down and wrote some emails to our contacts at each of the major foundations and just laid it all out for them. Told them exactly what I knew, um, what our plans were, and asked if they would be open to a conversation. And we literally heard from everyone within four days after those emails. And so I think that that's the power of the communication. And having been very intentional about about just staying in touch with them ever since the bankruptcy the good news the bad news here's another update that i just want to share here's something else that i need to let you know about and frequently it's just simply an email and people would respond and say thanks for letting me know hope everybody's well and they don't need more than that and you don't need more than that but at least the lines of communication are open and there is the basis of a relationship from which a more meaningful conversation can develop
0: the questions I have and I think everyone's trying to in in any crisis there's so many unknowns right like it's I've heard so many times if I could just get my crystal ball and we'd see and I'm sure even in the bankruptcy situation there's maybe a little bit more knowns but still a lot of unknowns in terms of how everyone respond how does the unknowns fall into that communication and the
1: over communicating just very honestly I have tried to be Completely upfront with people with regards to the good news, the bad news, and here's what I don't know. But here's what we think might happen, or here's what we're planning for. These are um, our donors, our supporters are very intelligent people. They are very talented in many respects, very talented business leaders in their own right. They get and understand. The, uh, the fact that the situation is constantly changing. Many of them were dealing with the same struggles themselves. It was interesting to have conversations with a couple of the foundations who were saying, yes, we're, we're, we're responding as quickly as we can. We're changing how we do things. And oh, by the way, we're also dealing with the fact that our portfolio lost you know, significant value overnight too. That was a gut check. Oh, Oh, yes. Yes, you do have problems too. So I I, I think really all it can be is complete and total honesty, delivered with respect. And I've always found that occasionally the the, the relationships, uh, you know, sour a little bit. Um, Maybe sour is not the right word, but you go through a rough patch. Somebody taught me once to seize those moments as opportunities and not to sort of crawl away and go, oh God, that relationship has gone sour, but to quickly follow up very honestly, humbly, Say I'm sorry about this. We screwed up. I screwed up. Whatever. How can I make this right? And enter into that conversation with people. And I've never seen that fail. If you can be truthfully honest and convince people of your sincere intentions, I haven't seen that go bad for anyone.
0: Funny side note: This always brings me back. One of my favorite um, authors is Brene Brown. She did a lot of work on vulnerability and how that's actually where courage comes from. And and as we're all moving and making decisions so quickly, like, of course, mistakes are going to be made. And of course, there's unknowns, but it's the, you're absolutely right. It's the the follow-up and just the rebuilding of, of when mistakes do happen, that we all have best intentions. Um, and we're just trying to all make it work as quickly as we possibly can.
1: It's the ability to extend and receive grace. Yes. Here's a really quick story. Um, the first foundation to respond to that appeal um, and ended up contributing $750,000 to our COVID relief work. Actually, four or five years ago, the relationship was not in a good place at all. We'd gone in in our best suits, all expecting to get really good (laughs) news on a lengthy conversation that we'd been having with the foundation. And there were just some mixed messages and leadership changes on both sides. And we kind of, you know, got ushered out and we all turned and looked at each other in the elevator afterwards and rolled our eyes and And crawled back to the office. And I let it sit for two days. And then I picked up the phone and um, reached out to my counterpart at the foundation and said, would you be willing to just have lunch? I feel like you and I really need to have, um, you know, a, a person-to-person conversation and figure out what went wrong. And and I basically told her, I think perhaps the fault is on me. And she was very generous and said, no, 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 you know, and to help me understand what was going, you know, on with them. But ever since then, so just as I said, when it goes sour, you have that opportunity to sort of rebuild that relationship if you can approach it with honesty. So, you know, we're... we're, we're <laughs> Grateful that we did, and we rebuilt it, and we stayed in good touch, and and you know all
0: those things. And, and what specifically with securing a, a large donation like that? I know is huge during this time. How are you communicating specifically with the people in terms of your COVID relief? Like, what is that? You know, what is that story as you're going in to share some of the great work y'all are
1: doing as well? Yes, and and that 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 I think is significant. Um, it's been a significant learning within the organization itself. You know, we were able to have those conversations because we've been doing work that the foundation community and other major donors have valued for a long, long time. And you know those gifts come through because they want to ensure that that work continues and is able to expand to meet the growing need. And, and what message do we take to them? Well, it depends. It depends on the level of the donor, uh, it depends on the the, the the strength of the relationship I found with the foundation community, where literally I'm asking for significant sums of money. I'm asking them to be a co-investor. My CEO and I, as we were going through the bankruptcy, we had this, you know, uh, one thing that we used to say to each other and also to, to our donors, uh, there are no more secrets. We have no more secrets at all. We have hung our dirty washing out across the Allegheny River for everyone to see. And so even with regards to the foundation community right now, I mean, we were giving them cash flow models, just so that they could, see, as I said, these are business people as well. And I need you to understand exactly how this Y is going to be struggling through the summer. And I found that that was very compelling for them, as well as accompanied with uh, an accounting of, they, they know what we've done in the past. They want to see what we're planning and how we're responding now. And so I think a lot of people were really impressed Was the speed with which we responded to the increased need and the creativity, as as I said before, displayed by some of our younger staff in how we responded. I was amazed. One of our staff uh, people, uh, one one member of my team actually, um, created virtual volunteer opportunities. You know, volunteering didn't mean that you had to put on a mask and gloves because not everybody can. And so she created virtual volunteer opportunities, and that was outreach calls to our seniors. She also created a pen pal program between uh, kids and our youth development uh, program and our seniors as well. Um, so, again, we've, we've, we've made it possible for everybody to get involved where they feel most comfortable.
0: That's fabulous. I haven't heard of the volunteer. I've definitely heard of staff and, like, the outreach to seniors, but I haven't, I haven't seen the connection yet um, with, from a volunteer standpoint. Which I know it, during this time is one of the big things, depending on where you are in life, like um, mental health and just being isolated and just being able to talk to people,
1: I know it, is huge. Yes, exactly. And helping, you know, a volunteer feel that they can contribute in a way that doesn't put them at risk the seniors on seniors love the phone calls in fact the biggest problem is probably keeping the call tight <laughs> and uh, moving on to the next one but but they love it they love it and it, yes it's been a nice way to sort of build a stronger community
0: You see, planning, you know, how the Y is going to support um, and planning for the future. How do you see that specifically looking differently for your team with financial development? A lot of times, especially for the Y, it's we have this campaign season and we have our annual campaigns and our capital. What is that? How do you see that shifting in the coming months?
1: Well, I definitely do see it shifting. And our CEO, Kevin Balding, has been very clear that we, and I think there's this general sentiment across the country that the um the pandemic has certainly highlighted, where we truly have some deep problems that need to be attended to uh, in society. And we have the option of either just picking up and and resuming in our new normal or, we can take this opportunity to really decide who it is that we want to be. Um, Right now, there are very few sacred cows. And so this is really a wonderful opportunity to press the reset button, to sort of reassess relationships Deepen some relationships, change relationships, throw more resources behind certain areas, just level set and adjust all around. So we are talking about that. We're planning to sort of repick up a campaign right now. And as much as anyone can plan anything, we hope that that will happen in the fall and you know through the end of the year. Where typically we're normally spring. I mean, we were literally just kicking off campaign. We didn't stop fundraising. We just sort of shifted the ask. But we'd like to come back and do that in the fall, and it's quite possible that if we do that, that actually that could be a, this could be a, a wonderful opportunity for us because for a long, long time we've we've talked openly among ourselves about maybe campaigns should be in the latter part of the year, where the vast majority of donors are programmed to think at the end of the year of an end of year gift. Um, I. I don't know uh, we're we're gonna give it a whirl and and see what happens you know our campaigns have been disrupted the last couple of years so it's almost normal now not to have a, a regular campaign season though I would like to us to get back to normal so we're also looking at it as a way how we even sort of uh, reconsider our case for support we've found that as we've been doing work around housing uh, affordable housing, um, and also food security, and our outreach to seniors, that has has clearly resonated uh, with the community. And so perhaps what we're going to do is encourage our branches to sort of really focus in those areas. I think that the long-term fallout from the pandemic is, well, the fallout from the pandemic is going to be fairly lengthy. We're going to get past the medical crisis, but then we're going to be into an economic crisis, and that will last. And that's when our why's are going to be needed. So yes, we're going to take that opportunity to refocus. Absolutely. So
0: let's move. Let's move in. I know you're also obviously like have a big lead in the YMCA of Pittsburgh, but you're also a council member of NATO, the NATO organization. So you can can you tell me a little bit more about just what NATO is and what's your role with them?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Gosh, and I love NATO. And you know, let me just say here, I really appreciate Daxco's support to NATO, particularly the webinar series, which I'm directly involved in. NATO, when I found NATO, I felt like I finally found my peeps, my my soulmates at the Y. It was like, oh, here you all are. This is great. Okay. So it's, you know, NATO is wonderful. It's it's the North American, you know, YMCA development organization. And I always tell people, think of it sort of like the AFP, but for the Y. And because it does really focus very much on um, you know, everything is through a Y lens, which is extremely helpful. The Y is a little bit of a different, different beast different animal. And, you know, it's, a sort of, it's really a professional development organization. It's it's there for those, the professional fundraisers, as well as those who, you know, really just want to sort of build up their fundraising skills and portfolio, which frankly, in today's why, I think anybody, if you have aspirations for any sort of managerial position, you better pay attention to. And I don't care where you are in the organization, be it facilities, be it operations, be it anything. You should, if you are in a nonprofit, absolutely you, c- you cannot absolve yourself of the responsibility to fundraise, not anymore. And particularly in times like these, uh, everybody needs to be a fundraiser. Everybody needs to represent the organization and not be shy about asking for support. And so NATO is there to, to help provide that um, s- development and support, both for the professionals and for those who are not directly fundraisers, and really just helping to nurture the growth in our culture of philanthropy across the entire movement. Uh, So, yes, NATO is is a wonderful thing to be involved in. And, you know, I really regret that uh, the pandemic forced us to cancel uh, this year's conference, because that is also a place and time where I... It's kind of like going to the well and replenishing, um, you know, sharing of ideas, finding out how other people do things, uh, resources. It's 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 a wonderful opportunity uh, to, to gather information and, and bring it back for the benefit of your wife. I
0: agree. Having worked at Daxco for so long, NATO is actually that for me as well because it ends up being the conference at least ends up being just one of the biggest events and, um, I get my energy from just talking to people like you, right? Like, uh, and learning and hearing what the newer things are. So I definitely missed the conference as well, but hopefully, you know, the, I know the webcast series is good, still bringing the community back and we love being a part of that. And then we'll see where next year's conference turns out to be, depending on what happens with COVID.
1: Indeed. Yep. We're already, uh, starting our conversations, uh, around them well, we we start them years in advance, but, uh, planning has begun for how we put on a conference. One thing that I did just want to mention, um, you've met uh, the, the webinar series is supported by DAXCO. We're actually we've opened up the webinar series to everyone. You do not have to be a NATO member right now. Uh, in order to access the the webinars. Um, so if anybody is listening to this and they're thinking, gosh, you know, I'd like to be I'd like to be able to refresh my skills or, or pick up a few ideas, um, I would urge them to go to uh, the NATO website and, and look at the webinar series. That is great. The Y definitely is a different animal in, in terms of
0: lots of different things. But the one thing that is consistent through several things we've talked about whether you're in the financial development or at the branches it's this community that just every every piece of it i don't it doesn't matter what area you're in there's always a community so i love that you guys are giving back to that community as well because i think it's a good time everyone's trying to pick up and just adjust as best we can right now absolutely
1: yeah
2: hello i'd like to interrupt this podcast to introduce myself i'm constance miller Director of Research Analytics and Insights at Daxco. That means my job is to surface actionable insights to help all we work with make the most informed decisions possible to drive success. We thought the Accelerant podcast would be an ideal opportunity to link the stories you're listening to from amazing people all across the country and add data to deepen the takeaways. So here we are in the Quant Corner where numbers and data tell beautiful stories. Carolyn said something in this episode that has stuck with me since hearing it. You cannot absolve yourself of the responsibility to fundraise, not anymore. Particularly in times like these, everybody needs to be a fundraiser. I am virtually clapping for that statement, just saying it. And we'll add that once again, there is excellent data to demonstrate not only this point, but also the concept of every member being or becoming a donor blending the line between an identity of a member or a donor and vice versa. In NATO sessions this year, Christy Brown and I are going to dive into both of these ideas and how to be successful achieving them using insights and tools at your fingertips. Here is a sneak peek. Did you know that the following statistic has held true for more than seven years, which is as long as I've been analyzing this, And it is that only 6 to 7% of active units ever donate to the Y. Ever, meaning in the full lifetime of their membership, they log a pledge. And of those, only half have donated more than once. What is interesting about the past year is that we saw unseasonable giving and donation trends, which makes sense, and a slight increase in the average gift pledged, but still, even given that, not any movement or significant national increase in that stat that I just covered of members also being donors. I'll end on some good news, which is that the amount of donations nationwide, so the number of pledges, is up 46.6% this January, 2021, compared to January of last year, 2020. There is obviously a lot more I can say about this, so please tune in for our NATO session where we dive into this topic with, again, a lot more data, but also really digestible trends, as well as keeping an eye on DAXCO.com for the upcoming insights and impact reports. With all
0: of the changing dynamics and, and bankruptcy two years ago and pandemic COVID crisis now, how do you kind of center yourself and stay healthy and happy through these different challenges.
1: It's a challenge for sure. Um, And I, I do better some days than others. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, my CNO CEO is, has always been very honest with us and, Reminds us, uh, you know, we, we have a, what we call the president's cabinet. is the COO, the CFO, and myself and, and Kevin. And he's like, uh, I'm going to need you guys. Uh, and this is, uh, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you have to take care of yourselves. Um, and he does a good job of helping to set an example. So we, we laugh between us. I, I tell him sometimes I'm a little bit like a dog. I have to be taken out every day and walked in order to sleep well. So occasionally I will tell him, I've got to go walk the dog. I don't have a dog. I have a cat, but he knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) So I go walk my dog. And while we're working from home, Um, In the first couple of weeks, I will admit, I found it very, very hard to turn off. And I think a lot of people in those first couple of weeks probably did. I mean, you had, first of all, this really, this sense of impending crisis and real urgency. And you weren't sure what was going to happen from day to day. And as soon as the decision has been made, you know, the new information would come out and it would change again. And so, you know, I was working all hours late, late, late into the night, then going bed and just lying there with running everything through, through my head. So those first couple of weeks were very, very hard. After that, we started to sort of settle into a bit of a rhythm. And uh, at least I, could, I started to feel that I could step away. Working from home, I have to say this, I love the commute. I love the dress code. And I am now learning to take advantage of the opportunities that it presents me. If a neighbor calls or shoots me a text and says, hey, I'm going to take a walk, are you available at two? I'm like, yeah, maybe I am. So I think the most important thing for me is getting out, walking the dog, getting some sunshine and returning refreshed to the work. The work will always, always, always be there. It really will. Yeah, I've worked remotely for quite some time, but even
0: the shift to remote I didn't have for me, but still the shift to crisis remote was much different. Like, and I think I even found myself forgetting like, yes, you have to go outside for just <laughs> just a few minutes, if nothing else, to clear your head. A little bit. Yeah, just a little, exactly. And even simple things. Yesterday, I took my meeting with my team I went and sat on the back porch. Like, I was like, sorry guys, you're going to hear the birds in the background. Like, that's just, I need it. <laughs> but we all have to do our little things.
1: Yeah, no, that, that you're absolutely right. And that's the other challenge while you sort of learning to adjust from home. I, you know, I really like to see people. I, I find um, conference calls where we're just talking to each other, very difficult. I need to take visual cues from the people that I'm talking to as well as oral cues so with my team, we, we do the Zoom meetings, and you know they're they're a little challenging. You know, somebody's on mute, somebody's got background noise, somebody's got an echo. You know, but we're learning how to get past all of that, and uh, we're we're getting pretty good on a whole variety of platforms now: meetings, Zoom, Zoom, Google Hangouts, you know, whatever. I feel sort of multilingual, but it, it it's an adjustment, and I feel, and today in particular, I've been thinking about it, Um, the need to very intentionally give each member of my team a sense of time and attention and opportunity to exchange ideas just one-on-one. I miss the fact that we can't just sit down in each other's offices, cubicles, whatever, and quickly have an on-the-spot meeting or just even pass each other in the mail room on the way to the ladies' room, whatever or grab lunch together. So, you know, the downside of all of this, while there is an upside, you can go out and walk with a neighbor at two o'clock in the afternoon. The downside is, is that you have to really shift a lot more attention to maintaining your work relationships. Yeah. All relationships,
0: even to what you said earlier, work relationships, personal relationships, donor relationships. Yeah. Definitely more effort. Yeah. So Carolyn, any final words? So as you're planning and trying to plan and getting out your crystal ball and walking the dog, like any final words for those that may be
1: listening? So this has been very beneficial for me to sit and talk with you. And, and that's what I would say to people. Try to carve out some time for some thinking, for some reading, and for some thought, and connecting with colleagues. And connecting with colleagues, that really sort of, again, as I said earlier, it, you know, that's going to the well, and it's replenishing my soul and, and re-energizing you for the work. But at times like these, I feel like you really need ideas. Ideas are at such a premium. And the ability to see an idea, to seize it and to run with it and to work with people to develop it. So for me, it's reading. It is absolutely reading. We as development people, you know, we are almost expected to, you have to be able to represent the entire organization and everything that the organization is, being, is able to do. So you've got to sort of address the finances, address the operations, talk about community needs, relate it to what's going on in the economy, talk about the pandemic. You have to be well-read. Read Read your newspaper, whatever it is that you choose to read. Read it. Share ideas with your leadership team. The Chronicle of Philanthropy, (laughs) I love to go there. The Nonprofit Times, I love to go there too. And the NATO webinar series, (laughs) I am telling people, come there um, and uh, connect with your, uh, your colleagues and get new ideas. So that's the only thing that I can say take a moment to, to step away and think. Yeah, I love that. And that is easier said than done. So that, I mean, it definitely
0: takes effort and intentionality to do that. Carolyn, thank you so much for the time today. I've so enjoyed this and thank you just for all the work, the great work that you're doing in the Pittsburgh
1: community and for the larger, the larger Y community as well. Well, and thank you, Saranda. I have really enjoyed it. And special thank you also to DAXCO. DAXCO2 as an organization is really digging deep right now and looking to help WISE and JCCs. We're all in this together. That is, you know, the one comforting thing about what's happening. We are all impacted together. And by working together and helping each other out, we're, we're going to get through this. I know we will. But nevertheless, it's wonderful to have the support of friends. So thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this Accelerant bonus episode. Tune in next week for our regularly scheduled interviews with leaders across the country. Accelerant podcast is a product of DAXCO, serving the health and wellness community for over 20 years with comprehensive technology solutions to over 17 million members worldwide. Learn more at DAXCO.com. That's D-A-X-K-O dot Accelerant is produced by Christy Brown, Sean Ellis Hussey, and me, Saranda West. Sound and editing by Sean Ellis Hussey. Visual design by Jenny Miller.